Uh, welcome everybody who's watching online and uh, who's able to be here today. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. Um, Jesus is writing to the church of Philadelphia. He says, uh, and to the angel or the, or the pastor, uh, the messenger of the church of Philadelphia, write, these things says he who is holy. He who is holy. He who is true. He who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. That whole idea of open doors is pretty um, pervasive in this passage. Actually, it's interesting to me, uh, there at the beginning, he says, these things, there's a quotation mark, right? These things says he who is holy, he who is true. Now there's another set of quotations. You see that in front of, in front of he who has the key of David. There's another set of quotations in front of he who has the key of David. Uh, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens, end of quote. So there's a quote within a quote. Jesus is first of all saying, I want you to quote me. This is what I'm saying to the church. And then there's this other portion, that portion right there, which is another quote. Jesus is not only being quoted, but he's quoting somebody else. He's quoting somebody else. He's quoting, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So we're going to get back to that in a minute. He says, back to his original quote, he says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. He's not saying that he will make them come worship them because that would be idolatry to worship somebody other than God. Rather, he's saying that those who have been against you are going to come worship with you. This is why you need to work on forgiveness, because sometimes God's, sometimes God's plan is to get those who have been against you to come worship with you. And so anyway, you need to work on forgiving folks, because it's pretty important. So Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to make them come, and they're, 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 the ones who are against you, they're going to join you. They're going to be on your roster. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more, but I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is constantly in his letters and his epistles, really, to these churches. He's starting off, he always starts off with a bit of commendation. He always starts off with some affirmation. Uh, there was a church last week that we talked about that he had nothing good to say about. That was an unfortunate church. Uh, this particular church, he does have a number of, of things which he, he finds are very good about the church. And actually, he has nothing bad to say about them. I think it's so interesting. He has nothing bad to say about them. And so as I was looking over this, this church and reading this letter, um, I began to see that there were really three things. And that's just because I'm a preacher, so I always find three things. There, there, are, there are three things that really stuck out to me that Jesus does want these people to know. All right, so he doesn't have any, any correction necessarily. He's not, he's, not, he's not condemning them for anything. But there are three things that they need to know in order to take the next step, in order to continue, in order to 
finish strong, there are three things that they need to know, and I think actually these three things apply to us. I think there are three things actually that, that you could know and I could know, that if, that if we could understand these three things, they're really the key to many of our, our freedom, uh, personal freedom, uh, spiritual freedom, emotional freedom would come from these three things. And, and, so, and so being a preacher, I, I, I've, I've kind of organized it around some hand motions, okay? So, so I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to help you understand and remember this, and it's to help me understand and remember as well, so I don't have to use my notes. But the first thing is Jesus wants them to remember what's in, what's in them, okay? So, so, so what is in them? And secondly, they need to recognize what's in front of them. And thirdly, they, they, they need to have a revelation or they need to, to, to see what is on them. I believe that, that if you're going to step into 2017 different than you stepped into 2016, you're going to need to remember what's in you. You're going to need to be able to recognize what's in front of you. And you're going to need to get a revelation about what is on you. I don't, I don't do sign language, so if this is dirty, then just, just forget about that. I'm not trying to say anything other than what's in you, what's in front of you, and what's on you. You guys are looking at me like, oh, what are you talking about? Okay, so, so, so here's the deal. You're going to have to help me out because just, just to wake you up, just get out your pointy finger, or, or otherwise I'm going to get Cassie up here to do camp stuff with you. Get out your pointy finger and say, and say I, need, I need to know what's, what's in me. So that I can recognize what's all right, and and get a revelation about what is on me exactly. And actually, people get discouraged when they forget what's in them, and they don't recognize what's in front of them, and they have no idea what's on them. It's so interesting how people quit. People back up and they fall away, as the people say in the church, but they, 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 they quit following after Jesus. They quit doing the things that they used to do when they forget what's inside of them. They don't recognize what's in front of them and they have no idea what is on them. And so, and so if we're going to look at what is, what, what is in this church, what is, what is in them, what is Jesus telling them to recognize that, that is in them? Well, he, he, says, he says very similarly, verse 8, he says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it. And then he says, for you have a little strength. It's, it's interesting. Jesus never commends any of the other churches on their strength. He talks about their patience. He talks about their works and their, their faith and, and, he, and, and, and their love. And there's a lot of good things. But he never commends any of them on their strength except this church. And the, and, and the, and the commendation is kind of weird. It's, it's, I'm so glad that you have a little strength. It's interesting. And maybe it's just because I'm a 21st century American. Little isn't exactly awesome. You know what I mean? Like, it, like, like, like if Philip Rivers does a little good today for my fantasy team, that's not, that's not going to be good. Like, I want him to do a lot. I want him multiple touchdowns, multiple yards, a lot of completions. Why? Because little is not necessarily awesome. Little is not necessarily good. If I have a little bit in my bank account, that's not what I'm going for. If I have a little bit of love in my marriage, that's not what I'm going for. We are constantly looking for a lot. We're looking for great. But when it comes to strength, God has a sort of different perspective than I think a lot of us Americans do. He says, I'm so thrilled about your little bit of strength left. 
And now this is a church that's been faithful. This is a church that's gone through the same kind of persecution that the other churches have gone through in 96 AD, standing up for Jesus, believing in Jesus, fighting not only the, the, the persecution on the outside, but also the temptations on the inside and the false doctrines that were, being, that were being passed around. This church has been through a lot. And Jesus says, look, I know that you have a little strength left. Like I can imagine, like if I was the pastor of the church of Philadelphia and Jesus writes this letter and Jesus says, man, you guys have a little strength left. I'm sure we got, would have got a lot of amens on that. Amen, preach it, Jesus. You know, like, you know, like, like we're, we're an underground church. We were just dug out somewhere. We got dirt floor, dirt wall, dirt ceiling, a little dirt mound up at the front, for, you know, for, for an altar. And, 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 and these, these poor beleaguered Christians stumble down into this place and they have a letter from Jesus. And Jesus says, you have a little strength left. And I'm sure there would have been some amens. Yes, we're barely going to make it. And I don't know, but I can sort of relate to that because when I started 2016, you know, I mean, you know, I had a lot of strength left, but then at the end of 2016, I, I, I'm sort of like, who is that kid? Uh, uh, in, in the movie Matilda, uh, Bruce, right? He's got the, the chocolate cake, you know, like... <laughs> Bruce C, Bruce C, Bruce C. And he's got this massive cake, you know, if you've ever seen it. But I kind of feel like Brucey at the end of the, like he's got like five bites left. He's like, ah, he could barely, you know, take a bite of the cake. Like, I, I, I don't know about you, but 2016, you know what I mean? Because 2016 has been rough if you're an American. 2016 has been rough if you are a 10 city chapel. Folks, I mean, folks in our church have been hit with all sorts of stuff in their personal bodies, in their personal families, in the surrounding. I mean, some stuff has been going down, and I feel like I'm ending, I'm going into 2017. I talked to somebody, another pastor, he's like, oh, I'm so excited about 2017. I'm like, yeah, I need to make it through the next couple of weeks first, and then I'll start to get a little bit excited about the, because I mean, like, Lord, like, I'm just trying to, you know, survive 2016. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not necessarily ready and hyped and pumped. And, and I feel more like the church in Philadelphia. I think things are going well. But, man, I'm exhausted. Sometimes exhaustion comes from exertion. And you, and you go through stuff. And I don't know whoever came up with the saying, uh, but they, 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 they really jacked it up. But somebody once said, and then they turned it into a pop song, and it was really all downhill from there. But somebody once said that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think whoever said that had never been through anything that almost killed them. Because, because sometimes you go through stuff that almost kills you, and it doesn't make you stronger. You're exhausted. You're tired. It wears you out. You go through the battle and you got scars to prove it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not always like in the, you know, just going from glory to glory to glory. Going from glory to glory is not always like this. It's not. It's not a straight line up and to the left. That's not going from glory to glory. This church is one. Of, I mean, this is the all-star church. This is what, if you want to know what God thinks is a really awesome church, visit the church in Philadelphia. We don't know if they're growing. We don't know if they're impacting the community. We don't know if they're, if they're doing a lot of the things that we're doing, but we do know they have a little strength. They're exhausted. They're tired. And Jesus says, I love that. I love little strength. Because little strength is the kind of strength that God can use. Churches that have a lot of strength, people that have a lot of strength, God has a problem. He is, it's hard for him to fit into their into their life because they're so full of their own strength and so God often bypasses people who have a lot of strength 
because there's no room for him. There's no space for him. And so he's looking for people who have a little strength. In fact, in fact, Jesus, Jesus spoke to Paul, right? Paul, Paul had, had, had a lot of strength. Paul was doing really well. I think we have the passage to put up on the screen. Second Corinthians, Paul's doing really well. He's doing so well. He's got so much revelation. He's got so much strength. He's doing so great. And then God gives him what Paul calls a thorn in the flesh. Nobody's really sure exactly what that is or what that means. Maybe it's symbolic. Maybe it's an actual thorn that stuck in him that he couldn't get out. He prayed, Lord, remove this. Lord, remove this. He did it. Prayed three times. And God's response to him was, I'm not going to remove it. I'm not going to get the pain out of your life. I'm not going to suddenly restore your strength so that you're not exhausted. I'm not going to zap you and give you all this power because, because if I did, if I took away your weakness, if I took away your weakness, I would, I would take away my strength. He says right here, he says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is perfected. It comes, comes full circle in weakness. Paul said, therefore, I'll boast more, I'll hold the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He came to understand that being tired and being exhausted and being weak was not the same as, 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 as being lame. That being weak, that having weakness in your life, that having lack in your life, that having a little strength is actually better than having a lot of strength came into a place where, where God says, a little bit I can do something with. Right? In the Old Testament, you have, you have a young guy named David who, who, who had a little strength. He's just a shepherd boy. Uh, he's, he's short. He's young. The Bible says he's good looking. What that means is that he, he, the word good means he's, he's a pretty boy. He shops at Star. He likes Starbucks, going to the mall. I know they didn't have malls back then. This is my story, though, so I'll tell it how I want to. And so, you know, he, he's, 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 he's a pretty boy. He's wearing skinny jeans um, because that's what anointed people do. He's, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's, 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 he's up on the fashion. He's out there in the field taking care of his sheep, just, just mind, just singing. Like, he's always writing these songs. He's not a warrior. He's not a leader of men. He's never led anybody. He's a lunch boy. He delivers lunch. And, and, and Samuel goes to David's house and says, God told me that somewhere in, this, in, in all of your sons that there's going to be the next king of Israel. And so, and so David's dad says, okay, well, let me get all of my boys. Well, he, he forgets David. Like, that's how much he thought about him. Let me get all of the eligible boys, the boys that are probably going to be king of Israel. And, and, and Samuel agrees, right? The first guy comes up, and Samuel's like, wow, this guy's tall. This guy's buff. This guy's a leader. This guy's got, I mean, he was, he was an all-star quarterback in his, in his high school. I mean, he, this, this guy, this is going to be the king of Israel. And, and God whispers in Samuel's ear, and he says, don't look on the outside. Don't look on the, the physical capabilities. I'm not interested in the man's strength. I'm looking at his heart. I'm looking at the inside. And it's not that those other guys were bad people. They just had too much strength. They had too much qualifications. They were overqualified. When I first moved to Texas, I tried to get a job at Papa John's because I wanted free pizza. And I'd drive around. And no, I could, could I get a call back? Apparently, if you have two degrees, they don't want to hire you to drive around pizza. I'm like, hey, I need money like the next guy. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes you're overqualified for a job. And if you have strength, if you have a lot of strength, if you're full of, of faith and power and you're walking on cloud nine, you are not necessarily eligible for the grace of God. God because you don't recognize you need it. In the church in Philadelphia, they say, amen, we, 
We barely made it in here. I don't know how we're going to make it through it. Through, I don't know how we're going to finish this thing. We've been through so much. We're so tired. We have a little strength. But man, it's that, it's that little strength that God's looking for. It's that little strength that God stops. And he says, he says, now that I can use, that I can, that I can take. God will often do the impossible in your life. God, God, God longs to do the impossible. He longs to prove you wrong. He longs to prove doctors wrong. He longs to prove politicians wrong. He longs to show himself powerful, but he will only do it. He, he won't use what you think is powerful, because if he uses what you think is powerful, then you will give some of the credit to what you thought was powerful. And he's just a good chooser. He just makes good choices, you know. He just picked the best, the best, the best player. He just picked the best skill set. He's just a good designer. But he, no, 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 that doesn't give him the most glory. He longs to blow your mind and, and bring absolute turnaround in your life. But he's not going to use your strength to do it. He's not going to use what you think is your strong arm. He's not going to use your strong side. He's not going to use what you think that maybe, oh yeah, this is what God's going to use to bring to do that. No, 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 no. He'll, he'll do the impossible, but he'll use what you think is insignificant. And he feeds 5,000 people, right? There's 5,000, Jesus is teaching, and there's 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not counting chill, women and children. There's some say about around 12,000 people, and they're all getting hungry, and Jesus is preaching, and, 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 and he's a really anointed preacher, so he always goes over, he always goes over the time, because he's really anointed. And um, so, you know, he's, he, he's, he's going on and on and on. And finally, somebody's like, man, like, like time, time out, Jesus. I've been, I've been back there with the clock, you know. I mean, it's really getting late. And, and these people, I love, I, I love how his disciples aren't like, we're hungry. No, no. These people, I'm sure, I'm thinking about them, Jesus. These people are hungry. And Jesus is like, well, if those people are hungry because I know you're not hungry you don't want us to break for you if those people are hungry how about you give them something to eat and they say well we don't we don't we 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 we, we haven't catered uh, uh Jason's Deli yet we haven't called ahead we don't have enough money to feed all these folks um we're gonna have to send them off and get their own food and then Jesus says well no I want you to give them something to eat and so they find a little boy and they steal his lunch and um it's my story so I'm telling it like I want to you go read your bible if you want to know the real bible you know what I'm saying? Like, don't take the message version all these time. Anyway, so, you know, they stole his lunch, and, 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 and they bring it to Jesus. And what is it? The biggest lunch? No, it's a little kid's lunch. It's five loaves and two fishes, which, by the way, equals seven. I don't know. For those of you who are into numerology, that's pretty significant. He is five loaves and two fishes, and he, and he gets those, those, those little lunch. And he says, okay, now, okay, okay, I, I can handle that. Now, if, if, if it would have been a party tray from Jet's Pizza, you know, I, he, he wouldn't have had anything to do with that because that, that, that's big. But he gets something little. This is perfect. If you would take your, your little strength and put it in the hands of Jesus, you would see him do the miraculous in your life. It's, it's, it's almost as if he's saying, I want you to remember what's inside of you. I want you to value this little strength. I know you think this is a, down, a downer. You're like, Jesus, just uh, seriously, I'm going to have more strength next week. Seriously, I'm going I'm to do it. No, 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 no. Your little strength, that's really good. I want you to value what's inside of you. I want you to look inside, and you don't have much commitment. You don't have much willpower. You don't have much strength, and that's perfect. Perfect, excellent, awesome. I love what's inside of you. You need to remember the value of what's inside of you. 
value what's inside of you so that you can recognize what's in front of you. Jesus quotes this passage. If, if we can go back to that, yeah, uh, the verse right there. These things says, he who is holy, he who is true. And then he quotes an Old Testament passage. He who has the key of David who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. There's an open door in front of this church. And if they don't value what's in them, they'll never recognize what's in front of them. Because they'll always be trying to get more strength before they take the next step. But they don't, they don't need more strength. Little strength is good. But what's in front of them is an open door. And, and what, what really struck me when I, when I read this passage is, who is Jesus quoting? <laughs> Why is Jesus quoting this? And so I you get out your Bible, and actually Christian helped me study. Christian's been coming in with me on Mondays. Uh, Christian Jones, and so I said, Christian, you need to figure out what that key of David is. Like, that, that's pretty important, I think. And so, you know, break out your Bible, go, go on Google, do whatever you need to do, figure that. And so Christian, Christian sent me to Isaiah chapter 22, and I would like to read Isaiah 22 for you. It's this weird little story in the book of Isaiah. It's just, it's just this odd little um, story that really has no major significance in the book of Isaiah, no major significance to the people of Israel at all uh, that I can tell, but it's, it's this interesting story that I think was put in the Old Testament for us to understand Jesus a little bit. And Jesus quotes this passage. And so in Isaiah 22, verse 19 through 22, uh, uh, Isaiah is being told by God to go to a guy named Shebna and tell him that he's going to get fired. He's about to get fired. Who's Shebna? Shebna is the administrator or the secretary or the treasurer of the king's house. So he's the one who, he's not the king, he's not even a prince, he's not even royalty, he's just the guy who's in charge of the palace. He's the guy, if you want to schedule an appointment with the king, you got to talk to Shebna. And God says, I want you, Isaiah, to go tell Shebna that he's fired, because he's been doing a lousy job. <laughs> he's, been, he's, been, he's been closing, he's not been letting people have have, have contact with the king. Instead, he's been, he's been taking bribes and taking money for stuff, and he's corrupt. He needs to go. And so that's the background. Verse 19, he says, he says, tell Shebna, I will drive you out of your office, and from your position, he will pull you down. And then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim. Eliakim means the one that God will raise up. I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. In other words, he's going to... Hallelujah. I didn't even step on an extension cord. Lord, 2017 is coming. Um... <laughs> no, I don't even know what happened there. I don't know. Uh, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your job. I'm going to give it to this guy. Eliakim, the one the Lord will raise up, I'm going to give your job to him. He will be a father to the inhabit. He will be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In other words, he's going to treat people differently. He will be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David, or the authority or the power of the palace, I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. This is just a strange little passage hidden in Isaiah 22 that Jesus quotes, and when Jesus quotes it, he says, I'm the one with the key of David. I'm the one with the key. In other words, Jesus is making a direct 
a direct parallel between Eliakim and him. He's saying this old story in the Old Testament that you read about, I mean, it was kind of weird, right? Like that, that one treasurer, he got kicked out and a new treasurer got put in and nothing really happened after that. Well, that was a type and a picture of what Jesus Christ was going to do. Because, because, in, 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 because in, the, in, in the original covenant that God had with his people, uh, God's people had to rely on a type of administrator or treasurer. They had to rely on a Shebna, if you will. They had to rely on the priests. That when God set up his, 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 his law uh, and, and gave it down to Moses, gave him 10 commandments and then a couple hundred other commandments. And in that was, was the system by which you and I could relate to God. We could relate to God through the priests. We had to go to the priest, confess our sins. We had to go to the priest and, and offer our, our thanksgiving. We had to go to the priest and give him our offering. And then the priest would turn around. He'd be the mediator between God and us. And so the priest would, would take our sins, would take all that stuff. And then the priest would go in and talk to God. And so like Shebna, the original covenant, the original priestlyhood was very exclusive. If you want to see the king, I'm sorry, he's busy right now, but I'll talk to him for you. And the problem with that is that, is, 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 that, is that the original priests were humans just like you and me. So they were just as messed up as we were. And the original priests, they, 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 they had to get clean first. They had to repent of their own stuff first, and then they could offer our stuff. But as, as always happens with human beings, the system becomes corrupt. And Jesus walks into the temple one day, and they're actually making money. They're profiting off of access to the king. They're Shebna. It's Shebna. It's Shebna all over again. It's, it's an, an administrator that's thinking about themselves first, the people second, and God last. And God says the old covenant is about to get kicked out because it has become corrupted. And so I'm making a new covenant. I am going to raise up an Eliakim. I'm going to raise up somebody who has my heart, the heart of a father. I'm going to raise up somebody that cares first and foremost about me and about my glory and about my house. And then secondly, desires to open up a door of access for people to come. Because, because see, when, when I grew up reading this passage, I, I, I grew up in kind of charismatic circles usually. And so people would always talk about open doors, right? It was open doors into finances and open doors into promotions on your job and unexpected checks in the mail, which we never got unexpected checks in the mail. But anyway, we we're always told that those were the open doors and those can be open doors. Uh, the birth of a child can be an open door, right? That, that you've been trying forever and then God speaks something and suddenly, and suddenly you're able to become pregnant. There's, there are open doors that Jesus can open on this earth that are, that are of that nature, but the, op the ultimate open door that you and I need is not a promotion or, 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 or finances or a relationship. The ultimate open door we need is access to the throne room of the king. That's ultimately what we need. That's ultimately what is going to change us. That's ultimately what's going to heal us. That is ultimately what is going to do more for us than any other answer that he could give to us, any other answered prayer, any other open door that he could give. The, the most that we need is access. And that's exactly what the old covenant was denying you. And that's what Jesus is now saying. Look, I, I'm, I, I am a liakim. In other words, I'm going to open up access. People who were far from God are going to be able to have direct access into the presence of God. 
This is the beauty of the new covenant. This is the beauty of the blood of Jesus. This is the power of the death of Jesus. That when his body, his body was like the door. He said, I am the door. And so when his body was cut open, the door was opened up. And we had access into the presence of God that we never had access into before. We don't deserve it. We have not earned it. But he has opened up heaven to us. He has opened up the Father to us. He has opened up access into the throne room. And in fact, in Revelation chapter 4, this is exactly what John sees. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, after these letters, after uh, chapter 3, John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet now said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So, so... You, you, you have to remember what's in you, a little bit of strength, but you also need to recognize what is in front of you. That there, you and I have an open door of access into the throne of God. And I love how it's, how it's elevated. The door is in heaven. Because oftentimes we're, we're, we're spending a lot of time down here, pounding on doors down here. We waste a lot of our lives trying to open doors down here, trying to open doors of an ideal relationship, and it always seems to be locked. And occasionally you think it starts to open, and then it gets slammed in your face again, trying to open doors of contentment. And, and so you think if you, if, you can, if you can consume, as a consumer, you can get enough that you'll finally be content. And so the door starts to open, but it always gets slammed in your face. And we spend a lot of time crying in front of closed doors and waiting for God to open doors. And I'm just praying for him to open this door. No, he has already opened a door for you. He says, I've already opened it, church in Philadelphia. I've already opened it. There's already currently an open door in front of you. And the, the, the problem is you're just not beholding. You're not seeing. That's what he says. Behold, look, open your eyes. I want you to recognize that there's an open door in front of you. It's not beside you. And it's not even down here. It is up here. The Holy Spirit, I feel, is calling the church in Philadelphia and the church in Austin to come up here. Come up here. Like, I, I, like I, I, I know you you're interested in stuff down there but if you could just get a higher perspective you would be able to see the value of what I see value in you would be able to see the power of what I see power in if you would just come up if you would come up here that there's an elevated perspective that God wants to take us to there's an open door in your life. There's an open door in my life. And it's not an open door to better finances or a better job or, you know, you just say whatever you want and then you're going to get it. It's an open door to access with the Father. And that's, honestly, that's, that is what we feel we don't deserve. That's why it's what we need the most. And that's why it's the most difficult thing for us to have faith for. It's amazing you can have faith for a financial breakthrough, but, but to have faith that God wants you in His throne room. That's when the spirit of rejection starts rising up inside of us. That's when the spirit of... And you just need to reject the spirit of rejection. 
You just need to reject the spirit of rejection. And I know it's intimidating. John, John looks through the door and he sees, and the rest of Revelation has him describing what's inside that door. I mean, he starts describing that throne. He starts describing the one who sits on the throne. And he has to use a lot of adjectives and things like, like this and like that, and it's sort of like that. He's, he's, he, 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 he's struggling to find language for this rainbow thing that, that, that's emerald. It's around the throne. There's, like a, there's something like a river. There's these beasts that are in the throne, but also around it. There's angels above it. They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole world is filled with his glory. Around the th throne are 24 elders that every so often they just take out their, throne, their, their, their crowns. They fall off of their seats and they just begin crying out of the goodness and the greatness of God. Like, I know, I, I know it's intimidating because when you're down here, you, you, we, we, we wait at, at doors we think we deserve to open. And we, and, 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 and we settle for doors we think we deserve to open. And when we look into that place and we see the holiness of God and the greatness of God and the goodness of God, we immediately shrink back because we know we are not that way. We don't fit in up there. We fit in better down here. And John looks up and he... I imagine he looks through that door and he starts seeing all that stuff and he's like, man, I don't know if I want to go up there because I'll probably get kicked out pretty quickly. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, those elders, they're pretty awesome. I don't know how long they've been there. Um, the beasts with all the eyes all around and like all that stuff, like it's too glorious, it's too beautiful. I'm not sure. And, and the voice of God, like, like thunder. We, the spirit of rejection starts to sink in and we say, no, man, I don't know. Which is why, which is why Jesus not only tells them what's in front of them, he not only reminds them what's in them, he tells them what's in front of them, but he also tells them what's on them. They're at the, the, last, the last bit of the letter. I can imagine the church in Philadelphia, the pastor's reading this. And, uh, he says, he says, I'm, I'm going to make those uh, who, who, have, who, have, uh, who say they're Jews or not, but are lying, I'll make them come and worship before your feet and know that I've loved you. Uh, because you've kept my commandment to persevere, I'm also going to keep you from the hour of trial. That's good news, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly. That's good news. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. And, I, and, and, and I, I'm sure somebody probably was like, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry. Could, could, like, I'm not sure I, I understood that part. Jesus said, hold fast to what you have so no one may take your, so no, so no one may take my frown? Is that, is that what you, is, because uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm hearing you right. No one may take my crown. The church of Philadelphia, they're all weary. They're, they're, they're tired. They're barely even. And they, they're kind of looking around like, do you have a, Who's got? Who's hiding their crowns? Who's hiding their crowns? Who came in and tucked the crown under the seat? Oh, that's right. We don't have seats. We're sitting on the floor. Who? Like what? Jesus. This is the wrong church. This must be the other church in Philadelphia. It's that richer one, you know, the the one that they're they're all there, like the one on the west side of of that's that's the church on the west side. Like we we don't have any crowns. What do you mean no one may take my crown? 
I mean, that's like, I mean, that's like going into the locker room of the Detroit Lions, you know? Be careful no one takes your Super Bowl rings. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, we don't have to worry about that because <laughs> we don't have any. We're hoping for one finally this year, but as a true Detroit fan, I'm always skeptical because we don't have any. Now, it's different if you're talking to Dallas or, you know, uh, the, the, the guys up there in New England. I mean, they got a couple. But, but for us, we don't. Lord, what are you talking about? Be careful that no one takes our crown. Now, as I, as I was growing up and I read that, I would always think that Jesus is talking about, be careful no one, no one, no one, no one gets what I, what I want to give to you. Right, so, so it's because I'm a competitive person. So make sure no one beats you to it. Make sure nobody gets to heaven and gets the crown that I had reserved for you. But that's not what he says. He says make sure no one takes the crown you currently have. Make sure no one swipes it off your head. What? Jesus, we don't have any crowns. That's why it's important to know what's in you so you can recognize what's in front of you. But you'll never step into what's in front of you until you know what's on you. He not, he's not talking about physical crowns. He's talking about spiritual crowns. He's talking about a spiritual crown. And a crown signifies royalty. A crown signifies value. A crown signifies uh, a certain birthright through royalty. And he's not talking about physical crowns. He's talking about spiritual crowns. If you, if, if you understood what was on you, you know what I'm saying? Like if you could get, I think if we could get a glimpse of what is actually on us. I don't mean honest in the physical that we see in, in the, the, the brand of shoes that we're wearing, but I mean what, what God sees when he, and what demons see when they, when they look at our spirits. If, he could, if we could get a glimpse of what it, God our Father has put on us, if we could get a glimpse of the royalty that we come from, we would understand that we ought that we belong in a throne room. We belong in a palace. We would understand that that even even if you're I mean even if you're even if you're a discouraged prince, you're still a prince. Even if you've you've a failed prince, you're still a prince. Even if you're a messed up prince, you're still a prince. Even if you're a, a falling and a stumbling and a tripping prince, you're still a prince. If you would understand what is on you, number one, you would recognize why the enemy has been fighting you so hard because he sees what is on you. And secondly, you would understand what you deserve and what you ought to walk into, what you, where you belong. You would realize that, that a prince is not supposed to be at all of these other doors. There is a throne room reserved for a prince to step into. And you and I are wearing the crown of God, that God has put it on us. We don't, we, we don't step into what's in front of us because we don't understand what's on us. We're too discouraged by what we see in us to even recognize what's in front of us. And if we ever get a glimpse of what's in front of us, we don't, we, we don't think we deserve it because we don't understand what's on us. Jesus says, by the way, make sure nobody takes that crown that's on you. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, really? You mean... Hold, you mean we're fighting for something here? You mean, you, mean, you, you mean it's not just something I have to earn, I have to work at? One of these days, maybe, if, I, if, I, if I'm lucky, I'm going to get in there, slide in by the skin of my teeth, and God's going to say, here's your little ground. No, you mean I have it now? You mean, 
You mean I have royalty now? You mean I have authority now? You mean I have power now? You mean I have access now? You mean I don't have to prove my way into a place of good standing? I already have good standing right now? You mean I don't have to like have three months of good behavior before I get like a jewel in the crown that's out up there somewhere one of these days and then he takes a jewel off when I get some bad behavior and he puts it back on and he gets super glue and he pulls it off and he puts, like it's like God's always messing with a crown that's up there somewhere maybe someday. No, you have it now. You are wearing it now. Don't let anybody take it. Don't let anybody remove the royalty from your spirit. Don't let anybody stop what God has put already on you. I mean, it's on you. It's all over you. David, I mean, David, you're out in the field, but you're anointed to be king. I know you're in a field, but the field's preparing you for a fight. So you just need to remember the anointing that's on you because you're not staying there forever. So write your songs, kill your bears, defeat your lions, do what you can where you're at because you are destined for something greater. You're destined for a throne room. Go ahead, have a little bit of strength. Go ahead, throw a pity party if you like, but get back up and look up to the door that's open to you. You have access to much greater than you've ever had before and you deserve, you belong in that room. And that's why the door's open belong there. The greatest lie of the enemy is that you don't have a crown. You got to earn it somehow and you got to you got to you got to get it. If you are if you have been born of God, if you have been reborn, then then you then you are royalty. You are a son of the king. You are a prince. You belong in that place. You need to come up. You need to come up. You need to, you need need to behold. That's what Jesus says multiple times in this letter. Behold, look, look, look. Just look at this door. Just look at what's inside of you. Just look at what's on you. Just behold it for a minute. I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to condemn you, but I want you to look. I want you to notice. If you could see it, if you could see what I see, you would have the hope I have. If you could see what I see, you would have the courage I have. If you could see what I see, you would have the vision I have. If you could just see it. You've got to come up. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute with me? And, and I feel like God's calling some people to come up. I feel like God's calling people to rise up, to step up into a new place and enter into a new door, a door that maybe you don't think you deserve and you haven't earned. And you probably don't deserve it because nobody deserves it. But he's opened it to you because he will be a father to Jerusalem. <laughs> He will not bargain with you. He won't charge you. He won't, he won't try, to, try, try, try to make money off of, profit off of this. He's not going to try to profit off of your devotion. He just simply wants you to have access to your father. He wants you to have access to the king. He wants you to have open door. So as we close out 2016... I feel like the word that God's saying to the church is come up into this door. You, you, spent, you spent long enough <laughs> waiting at other doors, pounding on other doors, trying to, trying to gain access, putting your hope in other, in, 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 in other things. But if you would just look up, you would see that he's already opened the door for you. And not, not to say that 2017 will be simple and easy and there will be no struggles and there will be no fight but to say that no one can close the door that he has opened for